Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Our NBC Sunday series is made possible thanks to our friends at Citizen. SurvivingBreastCancer.org and Citizen are joining forces to get you full control over your medical records so you can find better treatment options, including clinical trials. With end-to-end military-grade encryption to keep your data secure, Citizen ensures that you decide who you share your data with, and your privacy comes first. Feel free to check them out at citizen.com forward slash SBC clinical trials. I'll link to it directly below in the show notes. Good morning, everyone, and happy Monday. It is always my pleasure to be speaking with you as we kick off the week together. A couple quick highlights as we're heading into the summer months. I wanted to let you know about two amazing events and opportunities that SBC, SurvivingBreastCancer.org, has on our radar. So please save the date for July 15th. That is when we are going to be hosting our annual summer soiree. It's 100% virtual. All are welcome. You can get more information at SurvivingBreastCancer.org forward slash events. And then secondly, we are in our summer fundraising sprint. We are inviting you to join us to go virtually across the country and collectively help us reach 3,000 miles. We are forming teams. We are going out and counting steps. We're hiking, we're biking, we're swimming, walking, jogging, you name it. You can get more information at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash coast to coast. And that's with the number two forward slash coast to coast. I'll link to it below as well. And we really just hope that you will form a team, make a contribution, ask your friends and family to donate because we want to keep all of our services and programming and education 100% free to our community. Without further ado, I'm excited to have an amazing panel today. We are here and joined with our moderator, Abigail Johnston, who is spearheading our Every Other Sunday NBC webinar series. And we are joined with four panelists, Ron, Shelley, Jaden, and Kyla. These amazing panelists are going to share their stories of what it was like to be children and have their mom living with a breast cancer diagnosis, and eventually it took their lives. These amazing panelists share their resilience, their memories, the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations, the silver linings, and the legacies that these panelists are leaving to honor their mothers. It's about paying it forward, doing good, and realizing that you're not alone, even though on some days, this is probably the most hardest thing any of us have gone through. Welcome to the conversation. My mom died, um, well, nearly 60 years ago, and she was aged 40. I think she had breast cancer for a couple of years before she died. Um, I have three brothers. Um, We were never told that she had breast cancer. And um, she was really, must have been, you know, just pretty stoic and um, just didn't notice any different. Kids are pretty wrapped up in themselves. Um, we were all, you know, 10, 8, 6, 4, that sort of, that sort of age. So we were just rocking around um, doing our stuff. But, um, of course, the time came she had to go into hospice and um, I think she maybe was there for two or three months. We visited her occasionally. We still didn't know she had breast cancer. Um, it's just she was sick. And then suddenly um, about we didn't see her for a month and then, um, you know, my father got us together and said, oh, look, I'm very sorry mum's died. And we go, oh, that's, that's not not much shock. <laughs> it's sort of like um, it was hit. It's like it hit us 
um, in one go. But I, I, when I look back, I think, well, we weren't um, we weren't involved in in perhaps the drama of it and and her pain. And I think maybe that was her decision, just protect the boys. That's perhaps what a mother would do. So um, I don't know much about the details. Um, I know she was a great mom and. Um, uh, sort of when I was diagnosed, as I said, seven years ago, it, it sort of all gelled together and it made me realize what she went through. So my mom found out she had breast cancer while um, pregnant with my little sister in 2003. And we always say like, Caitlin's like this a little child that saved our mom's life because we would have never known if it wasn't for her. So she was diagnosed in 2003, um, getting radiation and um, chemotherapy while um, pregnant. And then she was in remission from 2004 to 2008. And that's kind of when I was like kindergarten. And that's the time I remember her picking me up from school, like going to the library those times. And then she um, got re-diagnosed with... Uh, breast cancer again but the time that like it got the hardest was in 2013 when she um, got diagnosed with triple negative um, breast cancer and it metastasized and then come October 21st 2014 um, that was the day I thought I was going to lunch with her um, but instead um, I was told by my dad that she wasn't here anymore at the time when she was going through her treatments, did you know what they were called and what was going on? No. And even to this day, I actually called my dad before this and was like, what, what are the names of all of these things? I like had no idea. And I think for that reason to protect us, cause she, she wanted us to see her only as a mom, not as a mom with breast cancer. Well, my mom, she was diagnosed in 2014. And crazy enough, two years prior to my mom's diagnosis, my father had um, a heart attack. And that was 2012. I was seven years old. Um, So we were all just, you know, sleeping together after a movie night. And then the next morning we wake up. I found him. Um, He was unresponsive. Mm. And that's how that went. So two years later, mom's diagnosed. And going into her diagnosis and, you know, seeing how she would have the treatments and she would go to Tampa sometimes or have people drive her. I was somewhat aware of how of what cancer was and what came with that, because when I was five years old, my dad's mother, my grandma, she had died of um, breast cancer. And I remember going to the hospital and visiting her. And seeing some of the treatments she had to go through and, you know, seeing that process. So I wasn't completely oblivious, but I was still, you know, figuring things out. 2014 was when she was diagnosed. And then she was in remission for about a year and a month. And then came back and was more aggressive. And it was just, you know, a battle for my mom. Thank you, Jaden, for for sharing that. Shelly, would you talk about uh, your mom's uh, diagnosis and her experiences with cancer as much as you knew? Um, As I understand it from what little my dad has been able to tell me about it, 
Um, she actually had had lumps as far back as when she was in high school. You know, young women don't get cancer, that kind of thing. So, she, I mean, she met my dad, she got married, and she had my brother, and then she had me. And um, sometime after I was born, um, I guess at this point, the lumps have gotten such that you could actually see her skin. Um, so, you know, she, she like went back for the gazillionth time to her doctor and said, you know, there's something wrong with this. And they finally agreed, well, we'll try to drain the cysts. And of course, I stuck a needle in and discovered it was hard tissue. And, um, you know, she ended up having a mastectomy. I'm not really sure how long from the time she was officially diagnosed until she passed. I would say probably it was at least a year, maybe two. Um, I was probably about four at the time. I don't actually remember my parents ever actually telling me that she had cancer and I wouldn't have known what that was anyway. But I mean, I understood being sick. I'd, we'd lost my grandpa about a year before and I kind of understood that. And I, but I had no understanding that what she had was terminal because when you're a child, you don't think of your parents dying. So um, this was when I was in preschool and kindergarten. So I remember her taking me to appointments with her um, I was fully aware. I'd seen her mastectomy scar, and I she I remember she used to let me play with her prosthesis. Um, it was kind of like a big beanbag to me. How was it to live with a mom who was sick, who was getting treatment, um, and that sort of thing? So, Rod, did you want to expand on on that a little bit about just the experience of living with your mom while she was going through treatment? I, I haven't got the details, but. Um, you know, having experienced it as we have, well, you could sort of understand what she was going through. But I think you have to also remember back in that time, um, there was no chemotherapy. There were no hormone blockers. So her treatment um, was a radical mastectomy and um, radiation. And um, that's pretty brutal, um, you know, but she, she didn't sort of complain. She just was, um, yeah, just got on with things but it wasn't the thing to go on talking about the disease i mean we're all sort of so immersed in it even breast cancer was like almost a cancer without a name um this is 60 years ago right and um it wasn't um wasn't something you shouted about yeah as you can imagine we were just there were me and my three brothers um were devastated to lose our mom obviously and um uh, but yeah well she's gone she's gone thank you ron Kyla, would you talk a little bit about um, when uh, you mentioned when you found out that your mom had had breast cancer and, and how involved were you with kind of the, the process of things? I think you mentioned that you had to go back and ask your dad about some of the, the labels. Um, but what was it like while your mom was living with metastatic breast cancer and how did that affect your relationship with her? On October 20th, I got a call from my dad that was like, um, we're at the hospital. Everything's going to be okay. She's just like, her sodiums are low. We're just going to get them back up. We'll be out of the hospital in the next one or two days. Like it's looking good. And I didn't think anything of it. I just texted my friend was like, Hey, can I go to dinner with you before the volleyball game? And then, um, had my dad pick me up afterwards. And so we had like, I didn't think anything of it. Just like, like she had to get her sodium levels back up. She'd be home. Um, in the next few days. And obviously that wasn't the case in life. Like she, I can never understand the things that went on in her head, but from a child and as her daughter, all I could see was she would sing good, uh, good morning sunshine to me in the morning. She would make me brush my teeth. She would 
drive us to school, um, pick us up from school, take us home, make dinner for us, have our three minutes of mommy time right before bed. And that's like, and I think that's all she wanted. And I don't think she ever wanted the disease to be at the forefront of our minds ever. And I think that takes like a lot of resilience and, um, selflessness. I'm forever grateful that she did that because that's how I remember her. So you remember the, the positive points of just living versus cancer, having any part of that. Yes. And obviously, um, at the end, even though I didn't know it was the end, there was obviously like things that were a little different that like she was a little slower or she had to go to bed earlier or the huge oxygen tank in her bedroom and the fluid getting drained from her lungs in the morning. Like obviously there was definitely signs, but since I just never thought of it beforehand, it just seemed like, oh, she, she'll get through it. Like it'll be okay. From what I remember, because my mom, she, as I look back on it now, she did a really good job of, you know, being her normal self, you know, despite, you know, like I remember, you know, there was a point where she had to have a walker and a chair in the shower and, you know, she had to, because my mom's, um, she had one procedure where um, her lung ended up being punctured accidentally and she also had to use a, a catheter. And, you know, to have her lungs drained as well. I remember that. But even in the hospital rooms, you know, she would be the same mom that I always knew. And she never really let that show. She didn't let it affect her. You know, she, she tried her best. Jaden, did you have any questions that you did or didn't ask your mom while she was living with cancer? I wish I could have valued that time more. And, and the only reason I say that is because of how... I guess naive I was back then because, you know, in my, in my mind at the time I was thinking, well, mom had cancer before she was fine. Despite it, despite, you know, coming back, I was, you know, pretty optimistic about the whole situation. So it was just more so wishing that I could have, you know, truly valued the time that I had with her. You know, at the time, obviously I didn't even know what to ask. Um, And in trying, you know, and trying to pick my dad's brain about it 40 years later, and when I was diagnosed, it was hard because he didn't, I mean, he didn't really know any of the terminology. And and as Rob was saying, I mean, he said she had chemo. I don't know if it was actually chemo or radiation because her hair didn't fall out. So if it was chemo, it was pretty weak chemo. Um, And he's, you know, he even told me that it was nothing like what I had had. And, you know, there's definitely things I wonder about. Um, I never had kids myself, partly because I was worried about what my future might hold with it. And I would be, you know, I, I tried to now, now that I've been through it myself, try to put myself in her place and thinking about her young kids and her husband, she was leaving behind. And I, I don't, I, I just, I, she's my hero because I can't even imagine what that was like for her. And even been having gone through it myself, I don't, you know, I don't know how I would have managed that. And yet I see so many women, you know, such as yourself who do it with such, you know, such grace and such, you know, just you're, you're, you really all show me what it is to be strong. I remember my grandma used to take me to the hospital to see her before she would take me to kindergarten 
And sometimes she would leave to go run errands. And so I'd be sitting in my mom's room with her and we were, you know, and it was like a special time just between us where we talked and the nurses would bring me ice cream. And, you know, it was, it's, it's really the, the mother daughter time I most remember with her because I only have really vague memories of what she was like before she had cancer. So I remember, I don't have a lot of mother daughter kind of memories with her. And, you know, sadly, that's what I remember. It's, you know, something I try to not think of in a sad way, but in a way that that was the time I got to spend with her. I wanted to get to the the next two questions, which are pros and cons. You know, I hesitate to use good and bad, but maybe struggles and bright spots or, or silver linings that have come as a result of, of your mom having cancer. And so if you want to take both at once, if you want to just take positives or just negatives, that's fine with me. And uh, Rod, we'll look to you first. So what, what are some of the silver linings that have come about? I think there's many silver linings. I think um, to think about science um, over the period, medical science and the treatment of breast cancer over many years, I'm, I'm not really optimistic. I'm a bit um, pessimistic. I think there's been too little progress. I mean, people um, and moms are dying every day without, um, without much improvement. I, I told you my mum had um, um, some chemotherapy and uh, I didn't have chemotherapy rather, just had basic treatment. But I think um, even today with the chemotherapy, I know young women are still dying. And, and I think that's what's made me really, um, um, I'm interested in men with breast cancer, but I'm also interested in young women with breast cancer. And, and I think um, I'm on Twitter, as you know, Abigail, um, pretty heavily and um, trying to support people there. And, and I, I just think um, we really need to, to try harder. I, I, I wish there was more optimism in me personally, but um, we, we're, we're stuck and COVID's put us back further, quite frankly. There's going to be later diagnoses and um, treatments are starting later. And I think there's a tsunami of um, breast cancer on the way. Um, and I think all of us at the front line have just got to redouble our efforts. When I look back on that time, there's never any negative feelings towards it because it's all I can see is like the grace and poise that she carried out every single day by her doing that is now the way I want to live my life because through all of those struggles that I could never imagine, she showed up every single day for my sister, my brother, my dad and I. That's what I'm trying to do every single day for every person out there and help others because there's definitely, there was time afterwards, like the sense of feeling alone is magnified and you just don't feel like anyone out there understands. And obviously us all being here means that we all understand, um, but it's easy to put yourself in a little hole and think that all your struggles are really hard and so just coming about with like metastatic and like that time with my mom, just being there for other people and having people support other people is I think huge. And just talking about it just is like the first step to even create change. Looking back on, you know, my mom's re- re-diagnosis and everything, from, wh- from what I can take away from it is one, I was able to see my mom in such a weakened state, but still see her prevent or just try and be strong. And I'm thankful that I was able to, I mean, aside from the unfortunate situation, I was thankful that I could see my mom 
at her best, despite how terrible the situation was. The whole situation taught me who my real friends were because in that situation, I was able to see, oh, like I have two, um, two of my best friends in the world. I met during my mom's um, re-diagnosis when, when it metastasized and, you know, their families took me in and made me feel, you know, like, like I was one of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, then I had other people who I, you know, who never even called a text, you know, and kind of left me. So I was able to filter out who was really there for me. And then on top of that, I was able to spend more time with my aunt because my aunt, you know, my aunt and my mom were like this, they were, you know, super close. You know, my aunt would always, you know, come down or come up to um, Orlando because she lived in Miami and, you know, she was working a corporate job. So, you know, her schedule, she would always try to, you know, come up and just, you know, spend time with us. And when my mom's cancer metastasized, she came back up, you know, and she was there the entire time, you know, for her sister. Little did I know I would end up moving down here with her and, you know, being like her, her little roommate, you know, <laughs> you know, living here and just basically the same amount of time as I did with her when, you know, my mom's cancer came back. So, you know, it's, it's a weird situation, but there are some good things that came out of it. So. We're showing our kids how to deal with things that are hard and that, you know, yes, obviously in this situation, the cancer ended up ending her life, but she showed you how to do that with grace. She showed you how to do that well. I think I can identify with what Jaden was just saying. Um, Definitely one of the things that came out of my mom's illness was the incredibly close uh, relationship that my brother and I both had with our grandparents growing up. During the time she was sick and she was in now the hospital constantly, um, grandma was at our house if she was home and taking care of her and making sure we got to school and wherever else we needed to go. Um, And if mom was in the hospital, we just basically packed up a bag and moved to grandma's during that period. And the only time we saw my dad was during dinner. He'd come home from work, come over, eat dinner with us, and then go to the hospital for the rest of the evening. So it it definitely, even after she passed, we were at their house pretty much every other weekend. And we were over there all the time during the summer and we traveled with them. And I mean, we had an incredibly close relationship. And I know particularly with, for my brother, she became a bit of a surrogate mother. I do have, my dad got remarried and I I do have a wonderful stepmother who I never would have had that relationship. It's kind of bittersweet to me because I had to give up the one relationship to get the other. Um, And I had Mm. a hard time growing up and we, we had a really hard time when I was younger. And part of it was my guilt that I can't love my stepmother if, because it's not, it's disloyal to mom. And I had finally, somewhere in my twenties, I finally came to the realization that that isn't what mom would have wanted and that I could, you know, love both of them equally. The one that gave me life and, you know, brought me up for the first six years. And then the one that's raised me ever since. And and that, I mean, I I do treasure that. Thank you, Shelly. That's such a lovely uh, thought that it is possible to love more than one mom. Um, That, biologically that's it's obviously so significant but then the people who are who are there in your formative years that it's not that you're taking away the love that you had for your mom but that there's room for for multiple people in that status we had a question from um an attendee about what she should do at this point. So um, she is at the end of treatment possibilities. We'll be entering hospice soon. 
she has a daughter, teenage daughter who lives at home. And um, she really hasn't had a whole lot of conversations yet about her end of life and that it is something that is going to be happening. And she's asking. She's on oxygen 24-7. She feels really weak. She's definitely feeling like she needs to be having these conversations. And yet her teenage daughter is in some denial about it. And so she's asking you all, the panel, what your recommendations would be in terms of what conversations she should have with her daughter. Um, the one thing that I would suggest, especially if hospice is something that's coming, uh, the hospice workers, uh, there's always going to be a social worker um, as part of that team. Uh, there's probably a social worker now that works with your cancer center, well, whether it's palliative care or or not. And so that's the first place that I would start would be the the social worker and to see if there are uh, programs, uh, to see if there are therapists, uh, family therapists who will have those conversations with a family. Because I think that if there's any kind of disconnect between um, the person who's going through the disease and somebody who's in their family around them, having a third party come in to explain some of the objective realities of whether it's medical or psychological, whatever those things are going on, a lot of times it helps to have that third person present who's trained on this. Um, I wanted to move into to legacy um, and, and talking about carrying forward uh, the legacy. And um, Rod, I think that you, you've done so much of that in terms of becoming much more outspoken as a someone who's had breast cancer as a man, but um, how, how do you see that as uh, fitting in with the legacy that your mom left behind? I, I think they're tied together. Um, arguably, um, you know, I've got some familial cancer and I think everybody with cancer has a bit of a duty to each other to help everybody, and that's men, women, young, old people. And um, I, I just, you know, I'm at a time in my age when I can do it, I can afford to do it, I've got the skills, I've got media skills, I've got writing skills, and I, I, I see my life would be wasted if I wasn't doing something in this field, and um, it gives me so much pleasure, and I think that's what all of us here who work in this field understand, and that is that this gives us pleasure. It's not a chore. It's not a chore. Not one day of it is a chore, and um and it makes, I think it makes us stronger. It makes us more resilient. I think it's, it's how I, I've gotten through so well, you know, since, since my diagnosis, but also thinking about my back to my mom and thinking, you know, how resilient, you know, I've become. I mean, six years after my mom died, um, my dad died. And so I realised mm. I'd better go out and get a family. So a couple of years later I was married. A couple of years later I had kids. And so it all went on into a new era and that saved me um, I'm sure it, um, it, you know it just really saved me and um, now um, with all the social media activity or the social media possibilities um, I'm here in Australia I can connect with anybody in the world and I do um, I've got a tremendous support base out there there was a lot of a lot a lot of grief um, but I was at a time in my life where I was like this this sucked it did suck and it's always going to suck but how can I make it not suck as much for other people? And so that's where I thought, how can I help other people my age that are sitting in their bed wondering, 
oh, like sometimes I'm like sitting there and being like, oh, I need to ask my mom this question because I have no idea. I can't ask my dad. He doesn't like his answer is going to be completely different. Um, and so I created this like online platform called Pink Hashtag Pink Kids, which is a space for young people to talk about those struggles and things that like a therapist doesn't understand. And it's not their fault that they don't understand. It's just it's just different. And an parent that just doesn't understand, like I said, like it's different or an older person and just having those types of connections where you can be real and honest and helping others just like say the two different situations, but rooted in the same foundation of your mom having breast cancer and just even transforming that even more out and just like trying to help kids and create out outlets for them. Because I think when people are kids are passionate about something that brings them together and then we're at the next stage in life and um, the university level where like we're about to be in the workforce and being philanthropic. And so just making it aware, like how important it is um, to be talked about. So that I just know one day when I see my mom again, she's going to ask me what I'm doing and I don't want to say nothing. So. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jaden, can we come over to you? Talk about your mom's legacy and what it is that um, you are doing or want to do to carry on that legacy. Well, right now, I think the main thing that I'm trying to do is just living my life as my mom and my dad would want me to, because I mean, my aunt, you know, she instills that into me as well. It's just, you know, think of what would your mom think? What would your dad think? And I think that's really important for me to always have in my mind, you know, regardless of what I'm doing, if it's, you know, should I do this or would mom be happy with that? Would dad be happy with that? It was just so many things um, that I try to, I try to, live as though they're still here you know because I remember all the things that they taught me you know whether you know even though I you know my dad passed when I was seven mom when I was 11 I still have things that they taught me and I still honor them every day and every day I wake up I try my best to you know in school or whether it be um you know when I run track or when I play music you know I always have them in mind and you know I'm kind of it's 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 kind of it's kind of defaulted in my mind, you know, because it's a constant thing, you know. Every time I see, you know, a family out or you know, just some children, you know, playing or whatever at school, you know, it's always thinking, oh, you know, cause my mom was a teacher, so you know, it's even that, you know, just constantly thinking about them and what they want. Mm-hmm. Something I try to just constantly work on. It's sort of strange because I went so many years not really understanding what she went through. And it wasn't until I was diagnosed and I had, you know, as they were trying to stage me and I didn't really understand what stage two versus stage three versus stage four meant. And I was under so much terror myself. And I suddenly thought, my God, is this what mom had to face? Except she didn't have an entire hospital full of doctors trying to help her. And, you know, as I, as I was going through treatment about halfway through chemo, when I was at my absolute lowest point, I stumbled into a support group and it was like, it was amazing to me to interact with these other women who, you know, who were from all different backgrounds, all different stages of life, but we had that one thing in common. And it was as I got more and more involved in in numerous support groups that I really saw other women that, that are so much like my mom and, 
I realized, you know, and I could see what they were going through. And I understood even without kids, I understood myself how that felt. I felt a lot more connection to her. And I realized that the thing that she would want me to do is pay it forward because I was horrified when I saw so many young mothers with kids that were the age I was, I just had one that passed away a few months ago. And it's just like, it's, it's terrifying to me that this still happens. Such a consistent theme from from all of you that you had this horrible experience and then you are motivated to pay that forward. But one thing I was thinking about when you were talking, Shelly, is how many times in the support group, somebody posts something and then there's 20 people who are like, I thought I was the only one. And, and how valuable exactly. is it just to find out that somebody thinks the same as you do or is having the same visceral reaction to something or, you, yes. know, you know, whether yes. it could be an illness or, you know, for, for you guys, Kyla and Jaden, meeting somebody who's lost their moms. There's kind of that mm-hmm. instant you have that commonality in, in common. So, so important, Shelly, in that, you know, reminding people that they're not alone. Well, my word today for today is resilience, because one thing that I see in in each of you and that I I certainly hope others will be able to see in my kids is that while this is the worst thing that ever happened to you, you've taken it and you've used it to make something better, other lives better, your own life better. Um, And I think that that that's pretty amazing. And quite frankly, if that's what my kids are able to do, then I know I will be exceedingly proud of them. So I'm sure your moms are looking down on you and very proud of each of you and what you've done with this awful thing that's happened to you. We have no control over what happens to us in life. What we have control over is our response to it. So I think the responses that each of you have had have just been truly beautiful. So thank you all. Thank you all for joining and tuning in each week to Breast Cancer Conversations. As a reminder, this content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always ask the advice of your physician or other qualified health professionals with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Be sure to check us out at survivingbreastcancer.org where you can find out more about upcoming happenings and events and webinars, as well as follow us on social media. Instagram handle is survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and also on Twitter, which is SBC underscore ORG. Let's continue the conversation online. Keep on thriving, and we'll talk to you again next week.